It is great to see you this morning. I am so glad that you came out. Are you ready for the Super Bowl? Yes, okay. All right, it's kind of hard to pick a team, isn't it, when the Cowboys aren't in it? We just don't know what to do. It's just hard. Well, yesterday, we, um, we were playing, watching the kids play basketball. And after watching them play basketball, we had this, this thought. Well, of course, we can play too, right, as adults? And so after all day sitting, I'm thinking, hey, it's my turn to get up and show my skills. So um, we get a little game going with some of the coaches and some of the stuff. And so we hang out at, out, out at the gym yesterday. And so we're playing these, this game. Well, my wife, uh, she used to play in college. And so, um, I, of course, I think that I can still beat her, right? And so we're, we, get, we get going, and, and she does this, this juke on me. And uh, so you can just get mad at her, all right? She, and anyway, it broke my ankle almost. I mean, my ankle twisted, and here I am. My ankle's all swollen up today. So if I fall, just blame her. <laughs> no, we had a lot of fun. It was good, but man, my ankle literally is, it really is swollen today and it's coming up my shin. So it's a lot of fun. It's a good day to be here, but we're not here to talk about my ankle. We're here to talk about Jesus. I hope you celebrated already. Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to be going. As you looked at your bulletins, you saw the theme. Today we're talking about money one more time. Now, I know people get a little antsy. Some people get really antsy when we talk about money. They're going, hey, why do we always have to talk about money, especially in church? I mean, maybe you've only come to church every, you know, five times a year, and every time you come, they talk about money. I'm sorry, but we're doing it again today. When you talk about money, people get a little weird in church. And so what we want to do is I want to lay out for you, I want to help each one of us understand. There are two questions whether you like it or not, you're going to have to answer. You're going to have to stand before God and answer these two questions. And that's what we talked about last week. We started with the first one, and then today we're going to finish with the second one. Now, there were three little boys. They were out on the playground, as little boys do. And as they start competing back and forth, they started bragging about their dads and talking about how great their dads were. And so one little boy said to the other, he said, My dad, my dad he's so good, he can write down... Just a few words, scribble a few words on a piece of paper, call it a poem, and he gets 100 bucks every time he does it. And all the other boys were like, wow. Well, and the other one said, well, well, that's nothing. My dad, he scribbles a few words on a piece of paper and calls it a song, and he gets 1000 bucks every time. The other boys were like, wow. And then the other little boy stepped up and he said, guys, that's really, that's no big deal. My dad, he scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon, and it takes eight guys to pick it up in church. Your perspective on money, right? It's all about perspective. Now, last week we started talking about your perspective when we put up a picture. You remember the picture, the old lady, young lady? All right, how many of you can see both, old lady and young lady? All right, you're, you're moving up, good. And just in case you can't, uh, let me make sure I show you the picture here. If you go down from the feather, down the left side, straight down, what you'll find is a chin of a young lady looking away, and then you see a little choker necklace on her as she's looking away. If you can't see the old lady, then what you need to do is go down from the feather, and as you go down, instead of seeing a chin of a young lady looking away, make that the nose of the older lady, all right? And instead of the choker necklace around the neck of a young lady, that is the mouth of the older lady, all right? So you can, can you see both now, the old and the young? Now, here's what we started talking about. You can typically see one of these pictures very quickly, whether it's the old or the young. But in order to see the other one, you actually have to do what? Work. You have to think through it. You have to change your perspective in order to see 
a new way, to see a new image. And when we started talking about money last week, what we said is this. We all come in with a perspective. We all come with a view of money, how money should be. And it usually comes from society. It comes from our family of origin. Maybe even as we get married, you see those clashes begin to happen. One has more of a spending type personality. One has a more saving type personality. One really likes money. One spouse maybe doesn't like money at all. And so you have these different perspectives of money. Now, all that's okay except for one thing. What we really want is God's perspective on money. We really want to understand God's viewpoint. Now, remember what we set up last week. We said that God owns everything, all right? So God owns, say it again, God owns, and if God owns everything, then I own, you got it, all right? So God owns, I own all right, so God owns everything, I own nothing. And so with that being stated, what, what we began to learn last week is this, that I am nothing more than a manager or a steward of what God has blessed me with and what God has given. God is the one who has determined what I'm going to have. God is the one who's given to me everything that I have. We said every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father above to us. So everything that I have is not mine, it really is God's, and he's made me the steward which means that I'm going to have to give an account for one question. That first question was this, where did it go? It's an accounting question. Where did the money go that came through your hands? Where did it go? How did you spend it? And some of you, for the first time, maybe said, oh, I need to actually start keeping track. I need to actually create a budget. I had a few people talk to me after the service saying the same thing. Hey, I need to create a budget. We need to walk through that. So hopefully next, last week, what it began to do is lay out for you that you realize you're going to stand before God with a simple question. He's going to ask you, what did you do with everything I gave? And you're going to have to say, where did it go? And you're going to have to demonstrate, and you're going to be held accountable for that. Now today, we're going to have a second question. Matthew chapter 25, when we start talking about money in the Bible, the reason we talk about it in church is because the Bible talks about money. Matter of fact, there are 500 verses, 500 verses in the Bible about prayer. There are 500 verses in the Bible about faith. There are 2,350 verses on money. Isn't that amazing? Well, did Jesus ever talk about money? I'm glad you asked. Jesus talked about money, and here's how it works out in the Gospels. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, one out of every six verses talks about money in the Gospels. One out of every six. Some of you are going, well, I I don't really even pay attention to the Gospels. I just want to pay attention to what Jesus taught. Man, that's awesome. Out of the parables that Jesus taught, one out of every three parables has to deal with money. One out of every three. So here we are. Is money important? Yes. Why? Because God wants your money? No. Let me help you out real quick. Ready? God doesn't need your money. That's not why he's talking about it. God does not need your money. What God is after is your heart. More than anything else. And as we begin to learn how to be good stewards of our money, what happens is this. Our trust in God, our faith in in God begins to grow and it begins to increase as we handle money accordingly. So Matthew chapter 25, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 25, go down to verse 14. This is a section where Jesus is talking. If you have the red letter edition of your Bible, you'll notice that all of this is red and that means Jesus is the one who's speaking it. 
He's talking about the kingdom. So here we go. Verse 14. For it, that's the kingdom of God. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have also made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him and said, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth would you pray with me Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your love and your goodness. As we came in and celebrated your mighty name, your power, God, your faithfulness, God, how great you are, and we want to say thank you. I pray that it was a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And now as we gather for this moment where we open up your word, I pray that you would anoint this time. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this place. God, I pray that you would... Fill my mouth with your words. We need to hear from you. We desire to hear from you. So God, would you move? I pray that you would give us the ears to hear. So that, Father, we hear exactly what you want us to hear. And then, God, I pray that you give us the courage to apply it to our lives. So that, Father, we walk out of here a changed people. In Jesus' precious name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, so here's what we have. Open up your bulletins. I'm going to have several blanks for you to fill out, and so that way you can follow along and you can go back through. Remember, if we're going to change our perspective, changing your perspective is not just hearing something one time. It's going to cause you to actually have to work to understand it and to work to realign your actions with what you now learn and what you now know. All right? So here's the question. Last week we said the question was this Where did it go? You're going to stand before God, and the Master's going to come before you, and He's going to ask you the question Where did your money go? Because the money that you have 
is not yours. Because God owns everything. I own nothing. So really what I have is this. It's only been given to me from God, entrusted to me to actually do something with it. Now, here's your second question. You're going to give an account for how you expanded God's kingdom. That's your second question. So not only where did it go, you have to answer that. But now the question is this. How did you expand God's kingdom with what you've been given? How did you expand God's kingdom? Now let me show you what happens here in this passage. So here's how it plays out. You go down to verse, let's go back to the accounting that begins in verse 19. The master comes back, he settles the accounts. Verse 20, so he that has received five talents more came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, here's what I have. I have five talents, that's what you gave me, and here's what I'm doing now. I'm returning to you what you have given me. Now, here's where I get excited. Because God actually calls us to give an account. Because he's given us an account, we get to have the privilege. If we've done it well, it's a joyous time. Can you imagine having the five talents coming back saying, hey, look what you get. You gave me five, and I'm giving it back. It's an exciting moment because you doubled what the master had given you. So here's what happens. Ready? Number one is your your next blank. God gives to you with an expectation of you doing something. God gives to you with the expectation of action. Most of the time, here's what happens with us. You get something, you get an increase, you get money. And maybe for some of you, the very first thing is this. What else can I buy? What can I go get? Can I get that new gun that I was looking at? Can I get that new boat? Can I go, hey, let's just go out to eat. You get money and all of a sudden the very first thought is this. How can I spend it? How can I do it? Maybe for some of you are going, hey, that's not me. When I get an increase, when I get money, my first thought is save, save, save. Now here's, if you're going to have to give an account for did you expand God's kingdom or not, it begins to change the conversation. The master came, and here's what he asked. He asked the person with five, he asked the person with two, and he asked the person with one the same thing. What else did you do with it? How did you expand my holdings? Follow this. To the five, the guy came back, he says, I had five more. I doubled it. There was an expectation that you would take the master's money and that you would double it. There was an expectation that you would do something with it. Are you following this? Because here's where we begin to go. We get something, and automatically we sit back and say, wow, it really is good to have money. It's really good to have a 401k. It's really good to have something. And we look at it as ourselves. I gained it, I earned it, and that's all the further we go. Our first response is not, how can I bless others? You see, God blesses you not so that you can sit around and enjoy it. And people go, whoa, time out. I thought, I thought that's what it is. So the picture is this. So God calls you to give an account, and you get to stand up and say, hey, God, I really appreciate you giving me some money. Look what I got. Do you really think that's the conversation? But that's how we live, isn't it? Hey, God, it was really fun. You gave me some money, and man, I am so glad. Guess what I got to do with my family? Now, let me help make sure we're real clear. I'm not saying you can't enjoy it. What I am saying is your first priority should not be about how to enjoy it. Your first priority is how to expand God's kingdom. See, the master was all about his kingdom. He gave to the servants so that his kingdom would be expanded. Do you see that? All the way throughout, for the five, for the two, for the one. 
I was reading a commencement speech. I, was, I read this um, from Vassar University. And the speaker was in 2001, and his name is Stephen King. Now, I don't know if you know who Stephen King is, but Stephen King is a, a, a horror a novelist. He writes a lot of different books. And so most of his books have been turned into movies, and they're, they're national bestsellers. And he's given this speech, and he's talked to college students. And he, he's challenging them. And he begins to tell his story of how that one night he was driving down a country road. He has a wreck. He's thrown from the car. He's lying in a ditch. And as he's lying in the ditch, the thoughts begin to run through his mind of how that it didn't matter how much money he had in his bank account, how much money he had in his wallet at the time. And then he begins to talk and he begins to tell the story of the EMT who came and worked on him. And the EMT, he said, it didn't even matter if that kid had a, 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 an American Express gold card, if he had money in his pocket. It didn't matter because at that moment he was saving my life. He said, it didn't matter. He continues on, and as he's sharing, he says this. On that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truth. We come in to this world naked and broke. We may be dressed up when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going to go out broke. Bill Gates, going to go out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. President Ferguson, broke. Stephen King, broke. You guys, broke. Not a crying dime. And how long in between? How long have you got to put in the chips? I'm aware of the time passing by. They say in the end, it's the blink of an eye. That's how long, just the blink of an eye. And then he asks the question, should you give away what you have? Of course you should. I want you to consider making your lives one long gift to others. Why not? All that you have now is on loan to you anyway. All you want to get at that getting place is you want that Maserati it, and that's your dream. Or maybe that retirement fund, some broker is going to try to sell you. But none of that is real. All that lasts is what you pass on. The rest is smoke and mirrors. I read that and I was just dumbfounded. Because Stephen King, the guy who writes about killing people in all kinds of weird ways. In that moment and in those months that followed, his life radically shifted. It was a perspective change. And here's what I want to challenge each of us on. It's all about getting. It's all about what we want. And the master's not going to be asking you what you got out of it. The master's going to ask you one simple question. How did you expand my kingdom? Did you put the money so that more souls were saved? Did you spend your money so that Missions went around the world. Did you spend the money so that people were discipled? Did you spend your money so that you could invest in God's kingdom? How did you expand my kingdom? That's the bottom line. Did you make the word of God more profitable? Did you get it around the world? How did you do it? Did you expand the master's kingdom? It's an interesting question, isn't it? So let me show you the next one. So the next one, it begins to push us one more step. Your faithfulness now results in rewards and more responsibility. Verse 21, the guy who had five talents, he says, here, master, I gave you five more. Verse 21, he says, 
And the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, so what's going to happen? I'm going to accept you over more. Go in and enjoy heaven. The guy who had two, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Did you realize the guy who had five and the guy who had two, they got the same reward? Did you see that? The same commendation. Verse 29, for to everyone who has more will be given. So here's what happens. I, you read, if you read any kind of um, business uh, leadership, Harvard Business Review, they always talk about what gets inspected gets done. What gets rewarded gets done. What gets inspected gets done. What gets rewarded gets done. Now follow this. Jesus' parable of how the kingdom of God works is this. You're going to give an account, and there will be a day when you are inspected on what you did. And there's going to be a day in which rewards are going to be handed out. Now, this is where it gets fun. And you're going to gain more responsibility if you've been faithful. So, in teaching our kids responsibility, we, we, we try to just tell them, hey, you have to do it because mom and dad say so, right? Have you tried that one as parents? Why do you do it? You do it because I said so. Then there's also these moments where you say, okay, you need to keep your room clean, and you try the nice guy approach. Hey, you need to keep your room clean. And then you go to this next one, rewards. Hey, your chores, your responsibilities are tied to your money, right? We'll give you an allowance if you get your chores done. Now, what begins to happen? The chores get done because they want a reward, And here's where Jesus comes along, and this is brilliant. This is before Harvard Business Reviews started telling leaders, this is how you act. Jesus ties together, and he says, this is how it works. You don't just have to invest for my kingdom's sake just because I'm saying so. Jesus says, I love you enough, and I I want you to enjoy. I'm going to bless you in return. I'm going to reward you for being involved in my kingdom work. Do you see that? He says, I'm going to give it back to you. Now, here's where I, I also like what he says. He says this. Whoever's faithful with little will be faithful over much. Here's where we get confused. We get confused because what we really truly think is this. I'll be more faithful when I have more. I'll I'll give when I win the lottery. Or even college students. Now, let me help you out. I hear college students say this all the time. This is what I want to do. I want to make a lot of money so I can give to missions. Okay, great. But what are you doing now? Follow this. Because in our minds, we always think we're going to be more faithful when we get more. And and God says this. Jesus was walking us through. He says, the idea is not to be faithful when you have more the idea is to be faithful now and i'll give you more to be faithful over i'll give you more responsibilities do you realize that on average somebody who makes fifty thousand dollars a year will give six percent of their income six percent if you make fifty thousand you give six six percent they did a study on that and then they moved it up now let me use the logic most of us will say well if you make two hundred thousand well, it'd be a lot easier to give. It'd be a lot easier, so you're going to give more. On average, guess how much 
200,000, how much, what percent they give away? 2%. Do not buy into the lie that I will be more faithful when I have more. There was a famed pastor here in the Dallas area, um, W.A. Criswell. He was a pastor of First Baptist Dallas downtown. W.A. Criswell, he, he tells, tells a story of a young man who came into his office and said, Pastor, uh, would you pray for my business? And, and as I'm getting this started, and, and the pastor kind of walked through the story with him and just kind of said, okay, well, are you tithing now? No, I don't think I can. He said, you need to start tithing now. He said, that way we can pray that God blesses your business. God's not going to bless your business unless you start now. He said, but pastor, I don't have a whole lot to give. I only make $40 a week. And pastor said, okay, that's fine. $4, that's your tithe. Start doing it. He says, okay, pastor, I promise I will do that. Will you pray for me and my business? And the pastor said, yeah. Several years pass. And the young man comes in. He says, Dr. Criswell, I, I just have to confess. At this point, is there any way I can break my promise? Why would you want to break your promise, the pastor asked. Well, now I'm having to give, I'm having to tithe over $500 a week. Is there any way I can get out of it? It's costing me too much. And the pastor says, well, there's not any way you can get out of it. But here's what we can do. I'll start praying that we can get back down to a manageable level of $40 a week and you only paying $4 tithe. The young man said, no, sir, we're good. I think I can handle the 500 Now watch. If God's going to hold us accountable for what we did for his kingdom, and he's going to ask that question, what did you do? How did you expand? And then you get to this place. When, when you're faithful, when you're faithful, the beauty is this, that God says, I will give you more, and I'm going to reward you on top of that. Isn't that an amazing God? Because here's the reality. You can never outgive God. And he even challenges you, test me on this. Did you know there's no other p- scripture, no other point in your life that you're actually allowed to test God? You're going through a difficult time, you're going through a hard time, you're not allowed to test God in that moment. There's only one time that you can test God and not be in sin, and you know what that is? in your giving. God says, test me, try me, and see what happens. You try, and you try to outgive me, and God says, I promise you, I will do something amazing. I will reward you. I will bless you. I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. But so many of us, we're so scared because we're saying, you know what, God, this is all I have. I can't do anything. So here we go. We go back to our story now. Here's the last point. You ready? Failure. Failure to expand God's kingdom results in negative consequences. I know you don't want to hear this. My name's Heath. I'm your friend. The leadership council is not going to give me a bonus if our offerings go up. So what you do or what you don't do does not impact me at all. Are we, are we understand that? I'm trying to help you, and I really want to walk you through this. This is about you right now, and you need to hear truth. Negative consequences come to those who do not invest in God's kingdom. Look what it says, verse 24. He also who had received one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. So here, I'm giving back to you what is yours. But his master answered him, You have, you wicked and slothful servant. 
You knew I was a hard man. You knew I, I reap where I do not sow. Why didn't you do something with it? Verse 27, you should have at least taken it to the bankers and earned interest. Now, if you have a savings account, you know you're not making much money on your interest in your savings account. It's like 2%, right? You're not making much. Now, pay attention. Because there's a good chance this is going to blow your mind. Some of you have backed away and you said, I can't give. I don't have enough to give. This man had one. This man had one. And even with his little, the master still expected a return. Did you hear that? So whether you make a dollar a week or you make 10000 a week, the master still expected a return even on the one. He expected a little return. Even if it went to the bank and it just got a 2% return, he still expected something. And he calls him a wicked servant and he actually kicks him out and says, you're not worthy to even enjoy my blessings and enjoy what I have. That's hard, isn't it? Because we give all kinds of excuses. We give excuses such as, I just don't know what to do. I'm not rich enough. I don't have enough money to give. I, I just, I'm scared to lose even the little bit of, I, that I have. I don't like the pastor. I don't like the church. Hey, I need to take care of my needs first. Jesus told another parable. Stay with me. Jesus told another parable. And the parable was this. There was a man who, who, who had a field, and the fields began to produce a lot. And so what he does is instead of looking to how he can invest it for God's kingdom, he looks around and he says, oh, this is good. Oh, this is great. And so what he decides to do is tear down his barns and build other barns. Do you remember this? Because he was wanting it for him. He did not want to invest it for God's kingdom. And God comes to him and he says, Oh, how foolish you are. You think you can keep what I've given you? You think that you can keep the blessings of the harvest that I gave to you? You foolish man. Tonight, you're going to die. And whose is all this going to be? Do you see this? When we lose the perspective and we begin to think what we have is ours, and that we own it, we've missed it because God owns everything. I own nothing. And the master requires that I give back to him and I invest it to expand his kingdom. And when I hold back, I truly damage myself, I hurt myself, and I miss out on what the Father, the Heavenly Father wants to do through me and in me. I, have you ever seen the History Channel? Do you ever get stuck on like the History Channel or the National Geographics? Okay, I watched this, watched this illustration um, a while back of monkeys. And catching monkeys. Now, I like monkeys. I think they're fun. I always asked my mom for one as a kid. I wanted a pet monkey. I mean, they're just awesome. My grandmother had one, so I thought I should have one, but I never got a monkey. But you, so I'm watching this. I get stuck on it. I'm watching the monkeys go back and forth. And then here's what they start. And it is in Africa. The setting was in Africa. And so then they have the hunters, and they start talking about how to catch a monkey, how to hunt monkeys. And monkeys, by very nature, they're curious and they're also very selfish. So here's how they do it. They can either take coconuts or the one I saw was actually, it was this big, huge termite hill, this ant hill. And so the native, the African, he, he, what he did is he, he went over and he was wa- making sure the monkeys are all seeing him, right? As the monkeys are watching what this man's doing, he starts poking a hole down in the bottom of the, the hill. 
And as he pokes a hole, then he takes sweet rice and he puts the sweet rice down and shoves it down into the hole. And it goes down in through the hole that he made and it drops into the of the, um, of the termites. So it drops into one of those pits. Then he just goes and he walks and he goes over and he has a seat by the anthill or the termite hill and he sits down by the tree. And he just sits there. And the monkeys see him. All the monkeys are watching. And I mean, they sit there, and they, they act like they don't care. They act like it's no big deal. And they just keep watching. And before long, curiosity, it just, it's too much for them. And, and the monkey starts creeping up, and they're keeping their eye on the, the hunter, and they're, they're just watching him, but they have to get to the hole. They have to get there. And as they get there, then they start smelling around, and they smell the sweet rice. And as they smell the sweet rice, then they stick the hand in there, and they grab a fist of the hand, the, the rice. And then he tries to pull it out, and guess what happens? He can't pull it out. So now he starts squealing and screaming, and you hear the monkeys make the noise, and he's turning upside down and going all around, and he can't get his hand out. All he would have to do is let go, right? And his hand would come right out. But it's, he can't let go because he has the sweet rice. And here comes the hunter. The hunter doesn't run. The hunter doesn't even get anxious. The hunter just slowly gets up and walks towards the monkey. And you're going, dumb monkey, let go! Seriously, I mean, start yelling at the TV. Come on, you're like the monkey's going to hear you, right? You're like, let go. The hunter's coming. He's coming after you. Let go. And the monkey's swirling, and he gets faster and faster the closer the, the hunter gets. And all of a sudden, the, the hunter just takes a rope, slides it around the neck, cinches it. And as soon as he does, the monkey releases, and he takes and walks the monkey off. And they're going to cook the monkey and eat his brains. That's exactly what happened. I'm telling you the truth. I wish I could tell you it ended better. <laughs> it is so true, though. All right, so here we go. Follow with me. Because of his selfishness and not being willing to let go, danger was lurking, and he heard about it, and he knew about it, and he still couldn't let go until it was too late, and it cost him his life. Here's what I want to help you understand. This is about you. This is about your faith walk. This is about your journey. This is about you and God. And God is calling you. He's saying, I've got something for you and I've got rewards and I want to bless you and I want to work through and I want to expand my kingdom using you. And all you have to simply do is release what you have and think that it, and just re, change the perspective. Release it. But as long as you're hanging on, it's killing your faith. It's killing your walk. It's killing who you are. And it's killing and stopping what God is wanting to do through you. Release, and you will find joy. Release. It's not yours anyway. Release. And God says, I'll give back to you more than you could ever think. So here we go. Let me share with you a couple other things, and we'll be finished. So some of you last week heard maybe you needed to budget. So what are your action steps this week? You ready? Number one, set an amount. Some of you, whether you have five, whether you have two, or whether you have one, you need to set an amount and start giving. Everyone, everybody in this room can do something. Well, Heath, you don't understand. I don't have very much. I have one. Even the one Jesus called, the master called to attention to give an account. So whether you have five, two, or one, it does not matter. Everyone can do something. You following this? Everyone. 
No more excuses. No more acting like you don't know. Everyone can do something for God's kingdom. Number two. Number two, you ready? Schedule consistently giving. Schedule consistently. Set it up and start scheduling and schedule consistently. Because here's what happens. It begins to multiply your effort. Now, I look in my bank account and here's what I do. Uh, in my bank account, we've, I have bill pay where you can just pay online. And so you can go in and you can schedule, right? You can schedule some of your bills just to automatically go out. So I've gone in and I've scheduled my tithe to go out on paydays. And it just goes out. I don't even have to think about it. Now, when you schedule it, you look at it and you're going, well, that's not really that much. But here's what just happened. When you consistently do it, and it happens automatically, and it just starts working, and you start giving, and you have that set amount, and you're giving consistently. It begins to multiply. It begins to grow. And then I get this statement at the end of the year from the church, and I open it up, and I see every week I gave. I see the the times that I gave. And you go, oh, look what I did last year in January. Oh, look what I did in February. And you just keep going down. And you keep going down. Oh, look, that's what I did in July. That's pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember that in the fall. I remember there was something extra that happened. Oh, yeah, I remember that too. Oh, wow. And then I got down to the end of the year. And there was this line item. It says total. <laughs> it says total. And I look at how much I gave last year. And it's amazing. You're going, if you would have told me what I would have given last year, I would have said, there's no way we could give that much. I don't have that much to give. Are you kidding me? But because it was consistent and it was set and it was ongoing, at the end of the year, I look back and I'm going, wow, that is amazing that God allowed Jamie and I to give like that. That is awesome. And there's a joy to say, my God allowed that kind of money to come through me and I got to be a part. That's an amazing thing. So maybe today, what God is calling you to do is to set an amount and start doing consistently. It doesn't matter if you're at one. I don't care. That's not the, the point is five, two, or one, whatever you have, it's time to start doing something because God owns everything and you own nothing. And you will be held accountable. And God's going to ask you the question, what did you do to expand my kingdom? You will be held accountable for that. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether you choose to ignore it or not, you will be held accountable. So let's do something. So you can celebrate when the master comes. You can say, look what I did. Look how you worked. This is amazing. And you can be excited to stand before him. One last thing as we finish and close. There's some in this room who you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You come today and you're going, man, I'm not even sure about this God thing, but maybe, maybe I need to get right. You've been running from God for way too long. You're that prodigal son, prodigal daughter who said, I didn't want God, but now I'm here, and I know God is wanting me to give my life. It starts first. God doesn't want your money first. He wants your heart. And so maybe for some of you, what you need to do is today you need to get right with God. See, Jesus tells this other parable. He says, what's a profit of man? What does it profit a woman if you gain the entire world? Remember that story? If you gain everything. What if you were like Bono and you had all the fame? What if you were like Bill Gates and you had all the money? What if you gained it all? What's it really going to profit you? Because in the end, you are going to die and you'll stand before God. And if you lose your soul and you're not right with God, you don't get to spend eternity 
in the joy of the master, you spend eternity in the punishment of the master. So maybe today what God is calling you to do is to give your life. It's time to stop running. How do I give my life? How do I get right with God? I want to get right. What does that look like? It starts very simply. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for living life on my own and doing it my own way. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Then you say something like this, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins and you rose again. I want you to be my Savior. Will you forgive me? Be the leader of my life. Maybe some of you, that's what you need to do today. You need to be willing to give your life today. You can do it right where you're at, simply asking for forgiveness, acknowledging Jesus, and asking Him to be your Savior. Today, today, let's follow through with whatever God is asking us to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we give you this time, we give you this moment. It's about you. It's about you and what you're wanting to do through us. So, Father, here we are. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for showing us what we're going to be held accountable for. God, I am so glad to know ahead of time so that, Father, I can meet and exceed expectations. So, Father, I pray for some who who have maybe never started on this pathway, never started on this journey. God, I pray that you would help them to show up. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to take that next step that you're asking them to take. And Heavenly Father, I pray for those who today, they need to trust you. This is the day of salvation, so God, I pray that they would choose right now where they're at to pray, to ask for forgiveness, and to give their lives to you. We're asking for you to